also we recognized that we hadn't give, given the women of color in our organization enough opportunities for leadership development either. So we wanted it to be fair and equitable to everyone. And I did stop and say, okay, well, I don't, I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know how to pick this person over this person, both worthy. You know, I just, I don't know how to make that choice and not have it be biased in some way by what I know about that person. Hi, it's Leanne Mallory, and you've tuned into Reimagine Leadership, which is a limited series podcast created by Rise Leaders Radio. The idea here is to pick out various elements of a program that I developed for the Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas and to explore these elements at various levels. In this episode, we are talking about how to select the humans who get the opportunities for this prized leadership development. And uh, because this can lead to further career opportunities, or that's the hope. So programs like this, you know, people really want to be a part of, and then we have to be really strategic about how we're selecting the, the people that, you know, that get to be a part of it. So when we were exploring how to identify participants for the Reimagine Girl Scouts Leadership Academy, which, by the way, is a pretty rigorous seven-month leadership program for the Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas, and by the way, we may take a shortcut uh, later and just call that GS NetX because that's a mouthful, but when we were considering, you know, selecting participants, we really struggled with how to get the right people in the room. And there are always going to be trade-offs because you, you can't have everybody in the room. So what trade-offs were we willing to make? CEO Jennifer Bartkowski, actually, she just called a time out. Jennifer, I don't know if you remember that, but we were just going round and round. And you said, I just, I just need to pull, push my chair back away from the table here. And I need to go off and think and really reflect because this is a big decision and I don't want to make it lightly. So Chris, or so Jennifer, you called Chris Lopez, who is also on the podcast with us today. And Chris is a board member at the Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas. And I just have to say again, this board is so impressive. And there's actually, you know, oftentimes a wait list of people. I mean, I have known people who wanted to be on the board and they didn't get selected. And when you get a board to that level, you know, you've got a really great high functioning board. And that's what, that's what you have here with Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas. So both Jennifer and Chris are joining me today to discuss the specific solution for Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas and also how we can be looking at leader development with a broader lens that supports the organization's purpose, whatever organization that you're a part of, and also furthers any equity and inclusion strategies that you have in your talent development. So that's what this particular episode is about today. And um, Chris, you actually work with Village MD. And I'd love to hear, you know, I think it really sets a good context for you to tell us, you know, what Village MD is, how large an organization it is, and what you do there, because there's a specific reason that Jennifer reached out to you on the board. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I will say I was one of those individuals that was so excited to be able to be on the board. And I still remember the excitement when I even got the call that Jennifer wanted to have a conversation with me. And then the celebratory dinner we went to as a family <laughs> when I was selected on the board. So it is exciting to be a part of not only a board that's, I think, as committed to the organization and to the mission of what GFnetics is doing, but also to get to partner with a CEO like Jennifer that is willing to kind of take the proverbial step back from the table sometimes and say, let's recenter, let's make sure we're achieving what we actually committed to, and let's make sure that we're being intentional when we have these big opportunities. So I'm excited to get a chance to talk, to give a little bit of the behind the scenes on how that plays out in a day-to-day -day and, and talk through that. I am currently the Senior Vice President of Talent Acquisition, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging, and Employee Experience at Villa MD, which is wow. a lot of words uh, to basically say. We are really committed to and take a very specific view to how we bring in the people that are committed to the mission of Village MD. We create the environments and where people can be at their best. And we ensure that that experience throughout allows them to not only be at their best, but achieve their best potential so we can deliver on what is a really ambitious agenda by Village MD, which is to really ensure that all individuals can access greater health outcomes. Mm -hmm. Our mission foundationally is to look at how primary care, specialty care, urgent care can all really work together in a team-based approach to ensure we're keeping the patient at the center and we're achieving great health outcomes. That means going into and understanding where the barriers to that greater health outcome have historically been. And it can be everything from geographic and going into medically underserved areas. It can be everything from addressing things like medical mistrust. It can be in ensuring that the way that we deliver care, that we structure care, is meeting patients exactly where they are and understanding the context in which we can actually address those drivers that not only address illness, but start preventing care. So the, the organization itself is really committed to transforming healthcare at its core so people can get what we all deserve, which is greater health and, and to be able to enjoy our lives with our families and our communities really getting to, to benefit from that greater health. Wow. And, and so Village MD, where do you all operate? We're across the, we're nationwide. Okay. So you see Village MD is a standalone clinics and you'll also see them in inside some Walgreens. And so you can actually find us across the board and we're having new clinics pop up uh, on a consistent basis. We're currently about 21,000 uh, strong of, uh, of team members that are out there delivering that care and growing every day. Great. Wow. I'm so glad to know you. Thanks. Thank you for being here. And I'm, it was really perfect that Jennifer had you to call. So Jennifer, maybe you can kind of recreate that day and those conversations that we were having just about a year ago, where we were thinking about this program and then really, I mean, we were getting pretty twisted up on, you know, who should be in the program. So take us back to that time and, and kind of the conversations that we were having and what your concerns were. Yeah, I'll start even further back than that, which is I have been with the organization 13 years. I've been CEO for nine years. And for much of that time, I had felt 
sort of metaphorically as if the leadership team was pulling the organization forward and that we had a lot of strength and power at the top, but that we didn't have the strength and power um, and accountability and decision-making and problem-solving skills in the middle of the organization. And so it was sort of like a heavy lift to pull the organization forward. And I recognized as we were starting to think about reimagining Girl Scouts and the future of the organization and who we needed to be in the next 10 years, that we needed to invest in ourselves first. And so, and in fact, our community had told us that as well as don't come out to our community and try to, you know, sort of fix us or bring services to us, programs to us until you figure out your internal culture and your internal sense of trust and your internal processes and all of those kinds of things. And so what that meant to me was that we had to re that we had to invest in all of us, not just my leadership team. Right. And in the past, absolutely, our leadership team had benefited from the majority of the leadership development, as tends to be the case in organizations, right? You invest in the top. But I knew that while the top of our organization was certainly not perfect, there was a lot of room for opportunity and growth within the middle of the organization and even at the bottom of the organization. And our succession planning wasn't strong. So, but I didn't know how to set that up. And I remember kind of going back and forth from many different perspectives. And Leanne, it was me uh, and you, as well as our director or and now Vice President of Equity, Inclusion, and Community, who we were wanting to make sure that people within the organization, because the organization's business needed them to grow, had access to this leadership development opportunity. But also we recognized that we hadn't give, given the women of color in our organization enough opportunities for leadership development either. So we wanted it to be fair and equitable to everyone. And I did stop and say, okay, well, I don't, I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know how to pick this person over this person, both worthy, you know, I just, I don't know how to make that choice and not have it be biased in some way by what I know about that person. And so we called Chris and Chris gave me some really great suggestions about what to look for in a person in order to make their, our investment in them worthwhile and their, their commitment of time and energy in our leadership development process worthwhile. And so that's where we started to kind of take a look at things like what are their aspirations, what are their skill sets? What are their track records? And then I also added in, how will you advocate and champion for this work as an organization? Because I recognized it had to happen. The transformation in our culture and the transformation in the leadership skill had to happen throughout. And we only were able to do this, of course, because of a very generous investment from Mackenzie Scott. I don't know as a nonprofit organization if we would have had the funding to invest in our people in this way without that contribution. And I'm very grateful that someone like Mackenzie Scott understood the power of undesignated giving to allow us to invest mm -hmm. in our people and in our operations that really, that's the kind of thing that will transform an organization more than anything else. And I believe as I look backwards in our different attempts at transformation in the past, this was the step that we missed. We didn't invest in ourselves first. And therefore, I knew I had to get this one right. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, curious, Chris, those, it, it seems that, I don't know if those ways of approaching how to select the participants, if, if those things were just off the top of your head, or if there's like a way that you think about, or that we should all be thinking about development. Because when Jennifer came back with those questions and actually um, opened it up, actually, to Anyone who was a full-time employee of the organization and would have been at the organization six months at the time that we started, which was last mm -hmm. October, 
And I was just blown away by that. That was so different. So what is the thinking that that is underneath that? There's a couple of things, and I'd, I would love to take credit for it, but I think it's been passed down, I would say, by uh, different programs that I've happened to, to be a part of and have really kind of honed in on those as some critical things. But it really is a model that really can be taken from when when you're looking at succession planning. And, you know, when you think about performance processes, you're looking at historical performance. So you're rating, how did people do this here? What were the things that they did in the past? When you're thinking about succession planning, you're looking at future focus. And a lot of times you know, we can sit in a room closed off from all, all other options and all other information and just say, this is where the names would fit in the boxes in a way that that makes sense. But we haven't taken the opportunity to say, would that individual even want that? Are they interested in that? Mm -hmm. When we say, oh, we could shore up this gap, we're double down into this. Is that something they're interested in, they're capable of, that we're going to be able to provide the support or the runway for? And so those topic areas of really understanding what are the individual's aspirations? Have I taken the time? Has their direct supervisor taken the time to have the conversation to know what those aspirations are? What is the skill set that they have? So not just what goals did they hit or what milestones or KPIs did they achieve, but to really understand the full skill set and then the capabilities to really understand, you know, what are the things that we want to double down to or we can, we can really move into. So those categories kind of applying that back to kind of this is a program that would help someone on their path to succession or to a bigger role or more responsibility or to Jennifer's point, like to be someone that's going to help cascade that. Those things all have to be in place, kind of a bit of a track record, particularly in a situation where you had to narrow down, like understanding track record, that aspiration, the capability, and then the willingness to engage on this critical part of the cascade. Those really kind of apply there. So I took the concepts from some of the other tools that or other frameworks that I've leveraged before to really say that could really apply here to provide a fair way to assess all of the folks that were coming in interested in being a part of this, this really great opportunity. And it was really important to me that after we went through this process of choosing people, that those who did not get chosen or those who didn't apply, I didn't want people to go, oh, the same people got chosen or, oh, they're Jennifer's favorite or I wanted it to really appear equitable. And I feel like ultimately it did. And um, Leah, I'm sure you remember, but it gave me great joy. You know, we have 165 people in our organization. Um, all full-time employees had the opportunity to apply. And there was a young woman who is a field staff member in our Southern Sector office who I did not know, didn't know her name, hadn't met her before who submitted an application and I read it and I was like, who is this? Like she <laughs> has to be chosen. She totally gets the vision. It was amazing. And, you know, it was people like that that just surprised me that they were going in the direction that we wanted to go as an organization. And by lifting them up and giving them a voice, we were going to be able to really spread the culture out more evenly across the organization in the end. I yeah, think and I was so, like you said, you you were blown away reading the the applications, as was I. It was like, now how are we going to choose? Now that we know even more about these people, how yeah. do we choose? Yeah. Uh, but seeing them blossom and like you said, we would have never known. It's possible that we would have never seen kind of the true heart uh, and skill set and capability and willingness, some of the things, 
because, you know, some of the activities that were part of this program, you know, we asked people to go to your team and talk about this or teach this. Well, not everybody had a team, but they would go to their friend group and do like Friendsgiving, like during Friendsgiving, they would say, okay, we're going to practice being present with each other and not being distracted. And so let's everybody put our phones away and just be together. Mm-hmm. And then the stories that came back after Thanksgiving break, when people had actually tried this, and I think it can even be more uncomfortable to do this kind of work with your friends than it is oh, yeah. people who expect you know to, you to come back and teach it. And so, you know, just the courage that people exhibited and and the heart and the willingness to take risk. I was, you know, I still, I think about, and I'm still just blown away. No, I think people will, go ahead, please. Oh, I, was, yeah, I think there's, there's two key things that I think pop there and related to what you mentioned, Jennifer, about giving individuals a voice. I think there's so much, especially over the last couple of years where people talk about the great resignation and quiet quitting and all of these different things. And a lot of times, People, you know, are, it's way too late at the point where someone's submitting a resignation letter or you can tell they're disengaged to ask them at that point, what are you looking for? What are you interested in? And you find out that they have all these skills and now you're really looking to how do I keep them? Because all this talent and experience and potential is going to walk out the door, but we're waiting too long and we're not asking early enough in the process or having a regular cadence of asking because especially over the last couple of years, I think we know things change. But what are your aspirations? What are you interested in? What is important to you right now? And it really is, it it really is critical. And I think the the second piece of that is we talk a lot about and valuing the diversity that we have and the skills that we have. And that's all great. But if we're not leveraging it or allowing people to step into it and lean in with it, you're not actually Sometimes you might even be bringing it to the table, like you're in the proverbial table. But if you're not creating the space and the opportunity and even the invitation for people to share their voice and perspective, you are missing out on all of those things that you mentioned, mm-hmm. Leanne. And so it's it's just so critical to not just when you need it, like at the point of when someone's about to leave, ask the question, but to do that early on and to do that with consistency because we are missing out of so much that's in within our four virtual walls by not making the space for it and not being intentional about consistently doing it. Yeah, I definitely think we had to learn to recognize and leverage assets that we had that we were not aware of. The other thing that I thought was really interesting, Leanne, is when we did choose people, they were so honored, first of all, to be chosen. And then secondly, I I do want to say we did require our executive team to be a part of this. And so we did invest in our executive team too, but it was more because, I think twofold, We recognized that we did not have the skill sets that we were asking the rest of our team to develop. And then secondly, it was important for us to be in the room with everyone else. Not that, hey, you guys go away and and develop your leadership skills, but let's do it as a group. Like this is something the entire organization has a need to shift and to grow and to develop, um, not just you people over there. And I would venture to say that the leadership team gained as much out of this, if not more, than everyone else. Yeah. And you know, there a couple of things that I want to say. Number one, we did end up with a group of people in the program that mirrored the demographics of the organization. 
Whereas if we had done like a top-down approach or something like that, we would have been, and, and no big surprise here, over-indexed on white women because that's who are currently in leadership positions in Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas. But when we um, got a different set of questions and remembered uh, a strategic focus, actually, of GSNetX, which is diversity and inclusion and equity, then um, we had these new requirements that when we had the when when we pulled the people together in a room, we wanted it to mirror what the organization actually looks like, not just who's in position today. And I think um, it broke down some barriers too, which is part of the hope. And I'm sure that there's still a ways to go because most organizations are fairly, I think, fairly traditional and hierarchical, where you're not used to having someone who might be someone who's in the field you know, literally sitting at the table with the CEO or other chiefs in the organization. But we literally had that because we made sure that we split the executive team up during all of our workshops. So everyone would get access and, and then we changed it up every single time. So people got access to different people every time. And it's not perfect yet. You know, people are going to continue to be shy about speaking up when they're not used to being in the room with, with you know, the CEO and direct reports. But I think that it's come a long way mm -hmm. since the beginning. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think people felt grateful to have the time to have access to us because they don't always have access to us, but also... I mean, I've gotten a lot of feedback that they appreciated watching us be vulnerable on watching us admit to mistakes, watching us stumble on our trackers, you know, doing the things that they were <laughs> struggling to do as well. And uh, I think that that meant a lot to them and it made them feel like they were in it with us. So I, I, I would 100 percent do that again and, and, you know, encourage others to do that as well. It's worth it was 100 percent worth my time. Plus, just from a selfish perspective, I got to know people who I don't interact with on a regular basis. And I got to know them and they're amazing people. And I got to see some of our staff really shine and, mm -hmm. re you know, and it gave me an eye to, you know, succession planning down the road and, and things like that. I was really impressed with everyone and how they showed up. I think that one of the things that I thought was really powerful and I commend Jennifer and her leadership team for doing is I think a lot of times we'll say we want to bring other people into the conversation or decentralize power or really consider kind of how to change things up. And then we tweak things around the edges, <laughs> but we don't actually do some foundational different things. And the team committed to and has probably, I would imagine, you know, has had moments of struggle with when you are <laughs> doing some of that, you are, there are some things you're going to give up or have to give up control of or have to be really vulnerable about that you're kind of giving people visibility to. But what you really looked at, and and again, I think it's just so commendable and you're getting to reap the benefits from, is when we say we want to make an impact or we want to drive different leadership, you step back and said, who are the people that can influence and impact this work the most? And didn't just stick to the people that can give orders and cascade down. You said, who are the people that can actually activate it in the different environments, connecting with different communities, understanding the different voices. And you went to the actual, like, what is the impact we want to drive? And then didn't stick to the traditional definition. 
and following through the whole way from selection to the activities that you had individuals do to cascade it down, it created the continual learning. And because the program is at the length that it is, it allowed it to become a habit and a way of working mm-hmm. rather than a one-time training that you can say, who that's done and I'll go back to doing what I usually do. Mm-hmm. So I think overall, like the courage that it took to do that and then the commitment to stick with it is I think what's really exciting and different about the way that you've approached this. Well, I will admit that I called it uh, delegating power and then I changed it to delegating decision-making because that word power is a very... It's- yeah, loaded. it's a heavy word. Uh, <laughs> it's but a loaded I, word. <laughs> it's a loaded word. So, and you know, people don't like to give up power. But when I started to say what we need to do is delegate decision making because, you know, the, the leadership team has a set of things that we need to accomplish. And if we're making every decision in the organization, we'll never get this work done. And I really tried, I, the other thing I did, I really tried to hold the future of the organization as the why. So this is this is not because Jennifer wants to do different work or because our staff isn't good enough or you know any of those things. This is because in 10 years, this is what the organization in our community is going to need from us. And so it wasn't, there wasn't any personal me using my power to do this. It's really about like the business needs of the organization. I think that was really important. But I will say, as we started to delegate decision-making, it was hardest on my leadership team to do that because for all the period before, as I said, we were pulling the organization along. So we were we had all the power in a small group. We made all the decisions. We didn't have to tell anybody about those decisions. And we just did stuff and told people what to do. And now it was a pretty, you know, quick shift that we said, no. And I can remember there was a particular grant that we had where we decided to really practice this. And we delegated ownership and then delegated decision-making all the way throughout the organization. And the top tier of the organization was not involved in that. And of course, we had a say in it. And there were places where we got to plug in. But it was very difficult for my team to be able to let go. And we really struggled and it was painful and we had hard conversations. But at the end of it, it was like, okay, yeah, now I understand what this means and why it's important. Because we got different kinds of input, different perspectives, more buy-in. And we were freed up to do other things that were really important for our particular skill set. So anyway, I just think that was painful. I don't think I, you know, I, and we're not done. It's not easy. And we have to check ourselves constantly. We're constantly going, oh, whoops, that's probably not a decision we need to make alone or isolated. We need it. Who else needs to be in this conversation? But I think it's the shift is certainly happening. You know, I think so. There's a few things. Number one, I want to make sure and say that you know, you and your executive team were in this program and you all showed up. You didn't, oftentimes what happens when you get the most senior leaders, I don't, I don't know what is in the mindset, but they don't end up showing up and doing the work. And <laughs> you and your team did. I mean, you were like, we, we did something called a practice tracker where there were like assignments and practices that people needed to do. And I had access. So I was looking to see how are people doing? And I just kept thinking, dang, the executive team, they're really showing up. And and they continued to show up and do the practices. They did everything that everybody else did. So I think that that is not only was it commendable, but I think it it's really important that when and we didn't, we're not calling this change, but that's what it is. You know, when we're talking about distributing leadership and all of that, that's change. And so not only were they in the meetings and did all of the work that everybody else did, 
But it was really perfect timing that when the leadership team and the decision-making got expanded, that there was also this other conversation going on about um, leadership behaviors and how should we be relating with each other and all of that. And just because, so the taking of power or the making of decisions, it occurs in both places. So the people that currently have it have to let go of it. And that people that are moving into those spaces have to be willing to grab onto it and make the decision. And there is at least an equal amount of discomfort and it's wobbly and it's messy. And that's another thing that you can say, I know it's going to be messy, but until it shows up kind of sideways sometimes, you don't know how messy it's going to be. So what does that mean? How is it? And you just have to like keep moving forward and the messiness will show up and people will start showing up, start glowing in the dark. You know, when the, the expectations of leadership behavior change to a new model, but there is our old practices that old behaviors that are still in place. People are like, Oh, I thought we weren't doing that. You know, I never thought that felt right, but now I know that's not right. So all of this is happening. So it's, it's pretty messy in there while all of this is going on. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I, you know, I think back to during COVID and, and after the murder of George Floyd and how much of a leadership journey I personally had to go on. And I've said before, and I I've said it before many times that the leader I was in 2019 is not the right leader for who I need to be in 2023, right? I had to change. I had to go through my own leadership journey. And it was forced upon me because of environmental factors and what the organization needed. I had to be much more vulnerable during COVID and much more compassionate and empathetic. And then also my own DEI journey and really understanding my place of power versus the equity that we wanted to create in the organization. So I went on that journey and I was very candid with my team, particularly my direct reports, that my leadership style was changing. And that I thought that the leadership of our organization needed to shift to be successful in this new way of work that we were talking about in terms of our reimagine Girl Scout strategy. And, and then realizing that just that change was not going to be enough. They had to go throughout the organization was also key. But I think my leadership team, you know, they were, I guess they were excited to join the Leadership Academy, but they also knew it was a bit of a directive for me that these are shifts we have to make. We have to be all in on this because we're not the right leaders yet for the organization as it has to be. So I did do a lot of pre-work and I made a real commitment personally that I'm going to be all in on this and I expect that you all will be all in on it. And I think to some of them, it may have been a bit of a surprise what all in really looked like. Like We're really going to show up and we were really going to have the vulnerable conversations that we were really going to admit to the mistakes that we were making or whatever it was, it was was deep for us. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, not just part of the classroom activity or part of the assignments, but as the leadership team started to be expanded, and like the example that you gave with the grant, it was being new behaviors and uh, the decision-making was being delegated um, at that time. Chris, I'm wondering what's going on in your uh, in your mind as you as you listen to this, your your perspective is just really so much broader, I think, than than mine. I mean, you've got a lot of experience. You've been in a lot of different organizations doing talent and DEI. And as you, now you're on the board kind of looking in, what do you have to say about this? Not only about Girl Scouts, but 
like in general, you know, how, you know, how we can be thinking about this in general. You know, I think one of the, one of the really great things about being on this board is that we get to hear a lot of different perspectives from different industries. I think similar to the leadership team at GSnetics having to kind of take on a new approach and think differently about how they engage as a board, we've had to go through that journey as well and look at how we do that. I think we certainly have the DEI committee and we've got a community, uh, a committee that's focused on community as well, but it can't just be like the one committee that's doing that work and then feeding everybody else. We've all had to go through our journey. And so I think there's an element of personal kind of development and commitment that the board, a journey that the board has had to go on and that we're still on as we're looking at what does this look like in terms of not just how we show up to these meetings, but what kind of oversight and support do we need to provide the organization as we're engaging in these conversations to support Jennifer, to help expand the work, to push the work to, and how do we look at different ways of engaging to drive that? So there's an element of that aspect from a board service standpoint that I think is exciting because you're seeing that across not just nonprofit boards, not just Girl Scouts, but corporate boards that are also looking at, does the current model allow us to have the level of um, accountability that we need to have? And, and are we showing up in ways that actually push this work forward rather than just let this be a moment in time that hasn't significantly sustainably changed the way that we're doing some of the work to drive the differentiated outcomes? I think the the other piece that I would mention that I think relates to, I think, in, you know, selection processes and looking at some of that is, you know, when you've got a smaller organization and you've got the funding, like you have the ability to bring a large cohort in, you have a little bit of additional flexibility when you need to make kind of more tailored decisions or you have to be more selective. I think one of the things that I've seen on the corporate side and I've advised a couple of nonprofit organizations to look at is to really step back from the work and look at this ability to be representative of the community that you serve or the individuals that are your customers, your patients, your stakeholders. Like how do you step back and look at your full organization and understand not just the static representation of you know, what your current workforce looks like, but to look at all the other things that actually drive that representation and then decide what are the interventions that I need to engage in and how do I shore up where I do have gaps or double down on the strengths that I have? So from a basic standpoint, you could say, for example, I've got an organization that overall looks really diverse, or I've got a lot of women at the top uh, across the whole organization. But when I look back at my senior leadership levels, I don't actually see it all the way at the top. Now, you could just say, okay, we'll do some recruiting at the top and that's it. Mm -hmm. Or you could take the deeper look to say, do I have differentiated rates of people getting promoted? Are different people being asked to be a part of rotational or cross-functional programs? Do individuals have the right visibility? I think a lot of times they spot a mentorship program on something that requires sponsorship or additional look at the systems and processes that are impacting. And you can look at where those drop-offs are. Where are you losing talent and not seeing the representation that's at the proverbial bottom of the pyramid getting up to the top? Then you can step back then and say, this is a retention problem, or this is a recruiting problem, or this is a development problem. And where I don't have the talent internally to really be able to say, to set standards for yourself and hold yourself accountable to say, if I don't have the individuals in the role and I don't have the internal succession on it, I'm either going to invest in getting people so that they are ready now candidates, or I'm going to start building an external pipeline so that when that role does pop open, 
I don't have an excuse to say, oh, we needed to move quickly. And we just kind of continued to, to ignore the problem. So they're very numbers-driven, strategic approaches that you can take to get at the root cause. And where I think sometimes organizations falter is just looking at the initial easy answer. And just because you're losing one particular dimension that you can measure easily at a faster rate than another in an attrition metric, it's probably just not an attrition thing for that mm. individual or for that dimension of demographic. There's probably something happening systemically that you need to address. And I'll give you an analogy if you'll indulge the medical analogy. Please, I yeah. usually will say, you know, when it comes to, when you go to the doctor for your, your wellness, your annual wellness exam, they're taking a bunch of different things, measurements that they have. They're not doing exploratory surgery to check every, the health of every single organ that you have, but there's some things like your blood pressure, your temperature, that'll tell us kind of the overall wellness, the ecosystem of things that are happening in your body. And if you had a fever or high blood pressure and you were like, here's the one pill and sent you on your way, that's the equivalent of not digging into understanding the metrics. It's not just, oh, women aren't advancing. It's just a women's advancement issue. It means there's something happening in the ecosystem of talent or training or recruiting that's impacting this one group you can measure. And it's likely impacting other groups that you can't measure. Mm -hmm. So it's important to go back to the systems, the structures, and to really be able to address that. And again, that's why, you know, this program is such a great example of not just saying, oh, we need representation. Let's pluck a couple of people and put them in the room and then we're good. It was to say, what is what has taken us to the place where we don't have representation there? What are the drivers that can make this, you know, a much more fruitful and sustainable activity? And how do you start getting at fixing the systems and processes so you do build internal mobility and impact and influence and all those different things? I think it's important to add on to that for this particular program, the Reimagine Girl Scouts Leadership Academy. It is one part of a much larger strategic plan to transform our organization and prepare us for growth. So we committed very early on to systemic barriers for our organization. Why? Because the ultimate question is, why are we not serving more girls in more communities in more inclusive ways? That's the real question we're trying to get at. And why is our membership on a decline? And in order to solve for that problem, there are systemic barriers that could be as old as 111 years old to why girls in communities are not able to access Girl Scouts. And some of that shows up internally in our organization as people-centric issues, right? There might be inequitable pay, inequitable promotions, inequitable hiring and recruiting. It may show up as non, not optimized processes or processes that are in exclusive of certain populations or certain types of people. It could show up in our spaces not being set up quite right or inclusive enough or in the right places. And it could be in our delivery models and how we go out into communities, build trust, engage communities, recognize their assets, traditions, and legacies, and that kind of thing. So this piece of work um, and my, my vision was that in order to do all the rest of that, we had to invest in ourselves first, because until we understood those systemic barriers and that there were systemic barriers, that we couldn't fix them. And so part of this Leadership Academy was a tie-in with the IDI, which is a diversity inventory for each individual staff person, so they could sort of understand their own unconscious bias, their own place in the, in the spectrum of being inclusive. I mean, where are we individually? Because once, until you understand your own power and your own place, then you can't really understand where there are barriers for others. And that was a really par important part of this conversation. But I think it's important to recognize that this is a 
while an incredibly important piece, this is a piece of a lot of things being changed in the organization right now to get at those systemic barriers. Yeah, and my hope is that people are onboarding skills that allow them to have the important conversations, get feedback, do all of the things that they need to be able to do that support all of those other initiatives, Jennifer. Like everything else that you're doing, I hope what people have learned in this program supports the success of those things. Because that's, I think that that's the other thing that we, people get promoted or we try to do new things in the world without, again, the the skill set. And some of it is, it is both a skill set and a mindset. And we need to help people with both of those. And when we work on the skill set and the mindset, then they can go into those strategic conversations and raise their hand. They won't be silent at the table. And I know that that's still a work in progress. And it probably will because you have different personalities, different people, you know, are more willing to speak up, et cetera. But if people aren't speaking up, then other people can make invitations. And so it's like kind of breaking the way that things have always been. And we all need new skill sets and mindsets in order to do that. Yeah. And I mean, Leanne, if you'll recall at the beginning of this, we actually created the program and the curriculum based on the needs we knew were missing in the yeah. organization. So it was very customized to what I thought Girl Scout needed in the next decade. And so we built that into the front end of the program. And then the other piece that I think we've woven in nicely is that we knew we were going through a transformational change and change it can be so disruptive and so painful and so uncomfortable that we worked in change management, positive change management, Mm -hmm. programming and training and shared language into the program so that even as we were learning these new skills and we were making change, that it could be done in a way that felt positive as much as we could to our staff and allowed them to learn how to use their voice during a time which positive change management requires the use of your voice and hearing from many people and listening to others. We try to work all those skills in together. And, you know, as I look backwards, I'm like, oh, wow, that was really amazing and magical. <laughs> we were we smart. But we were pretty intentional on a lot of it on the front end. It just, it's just happened really fast. And it really, I mean, now I think about where we are and we're in a much better place and the deliberate choices we made have really paid off. Yeah. Chris, what are you, you're nodding over there. I don't know if you have something that you want to add. Just agreeing. I think that seeing the journey, I think, has been really fantastic. I'll I'll just add, particularly from a, you know, growth mindset and change management perspective, I think there's been such a willingness to to make the bets on, you know, these are the things that we think you could have done been in analysis paralysis and stuck there for a really long time. And I think everyone is in this position of trying to figure out what our new, if we want to call it normal, but what the new state of being is. And rather than sticking around in theory and analysis and all of that, you made you knew directionally where you wanted to go. You made some bets. And I think shared a willingness to say, and if we get if that's not what we need, then we'll shift and we'll we'll figure it out. But we're not gonna stay in inaction and analysis, we're going to just step forward. And and I'm thrilled to see the progress that's being made and excited for the impact that I know is going to come from it. Yeah, me too. So I, um, you know, kind of uh, in closing here, one of the, you know, the the integration, I think, you know, if I, if I step back and we can talk about leadership development 
as as if it's its own thing, but it sits within a larger context. It sits within the context of the organization's mission and purpose and how you engage with stakeholders and however you produce what you produce. And it shouldn't be seen as, oh, we've got, you know, we're doing this training or this leadership development over here. And then we've got the business or the organization over here. And so, you know, what I'm really loving about, you know, how this is going here is that there's such a strong tie. And Jennifer, just as you said, we really curated the content of the program based on the strategic work that you all had already done that said, here's the gap and here's the, here's what we need you know, in the domains of how, how do we deal with conflict better? How do we increase the amount of trust in the organization? And so we really made those things really important aspects of the program tied to the strategic direction of the organization. And so I think that when those conversations are, are handled separately, it does a real disservice to both sides, to, to the development aspect and the strategic plan aspect. Totally agree. I mean, this was always embedded as part of the strategic plan, and it was always an essential, essential component, I think, to our success. And as I said before, I can see why we were not successful other times because we didn't invest in this piece of the work, which is the people, which is the greatest asset I have. 55% of my budget is labor benefits. It is my greatest asset. Yeah. If I don't invest in that, it would be ridiculous to think that we could transform. So, and I think that's true for any organization, your people are your asset. And you have to, you, you can ask them to develop their leadership skills and you can leave it to them, but it may not be as a strategic a move as investing in them yourself. And I think what we got out of it was one, we got to focus in on the skills the organization needed most. And two, we got to shift our culture. And I will say, my retention has been through the roof through this Leadership Academy. I have not lost. In fact, we had 44 people sign up to go through the Leadership Academy. 43 went through it. One moved to Oregon. So she didn't leave <laughs> because she got a new job. She left to go be with family. So, so it was quite successful in that way. And I think that's true for our whole organization. People are really noticing that we're investing in them and noticing mm. that we're making change and noticing that we're including them in the conversation. And yet this investment, if people do leave and go get a bigger and better job, good for them, you know, like good for them. That's not the reason I am doing this, but you know what? They get to walk away with that. They get to walk away being a much improved leader. And that's something that is a gift, yeah. quite honestly. And the world's, a, the world's a better, you know, a better right. place when we have more people out there. It's just reminding me I did. And I guess when we, when this podcast series drops, it'll be an episode that's, you know, further down the line. But the, the episode I did with uh, Rick Vaughn and Raph Vuitton, where, you know, Rick was talking about, you know, the legacy, it, like, uh -huh. you know, the legacy, um, it's like uh, planting a tree under whose shade you may never sit. Right. And so that's really the basics of, you know, paying it forward. So Thank you both so much uh, for this. And I know, so I will have links, um, Chris, to, to you in the show notes and Jennifer and Girl Scouts and all that. And I know, Jennifer, you've got a big event. It's a ways off, but hopefully people are still listening to this podcast uh, in a little bit. So what is happening this fall that happens every fall at Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas that you want to talk about as, as we're closing? On November 3rd, 2023, we will be hosting our 
think it is our 25th annual Women of Distinction Luncheon, and we bring about a thousand of our friends together to celebrate Girl Scouts and to share with the community the great work that we're doing and to really recognize uh, the partnerships we have in the community at the fundraiser and a fundraiser. And this year, I'm super excited to uh, share, and I think it will be public by the time this goes live, that um, our Lifetime Achievement Award recipient is Miss Opal Lee, the grandmother of Juneteenth. And so we're super excited to get to recognize her and um, our women of distinction and our men enough to be a Girl Scout. So you can find more information about the luncheon at gsnetx.org. And it is always a great time and an inspirational day. It is so inspirational. I've been to two or three of them now. And it just, uh, it's typically on a Friday and it just sets the weekend off or, you know, it's just a really great, I think it's on a Friday. Is it on a it Friday is. this year? It Friday? is. Yeah. yeah. November 3rd, Friday, November 3rd. All right. Fantastic. Thank you both so much. This has been really insightful and helpful. And uh, Chris, I really appreciate your, uh, your perspective here. I mean, you've just come from a different orientation and thanks for making time to, to be in the conversation today. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here with both of you. Absolutely. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed this episode. As a reminder, this is part of a Rise Leaders Radio limited series podcast called Reimagine Leadership. There are several additional episodes focused on various aspects of a seven-month practice and cohort-based program that I developed for the Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas. I've included links to various topics that we've discussed, and you can find those in the show notes for this episode. Be sure to listen to the last episode in this series where we'll be reviewing the results of the program, what we learned, and how we're thinking about our next steps. In addition to curating leadership programs like this, I also offer executive coaching and strategic approaches to leadership and team development. Please reach out to me via the contact information on my website at www.rise-leaders.com. And by the way, Rise Leaders Radio is on YouTube now, and this is probably the best way for you to leave comments or engage in a conversation with me regarding this or any of the episodes. And of course, finally, if you found this episode useful or interesting, please share it with others and leave me a nice review. Thank you so much. And remember that you have the power to elevate your part of the world.